So last week we started a sermon series on freedom. The part of scripture that we always go back to and that Jesus pointed back to, that scripture points back to over and over again is the greatest story of freedom when it comes to the Israelites. The Israelites finding themselves in slavery in Egypt burden under their their oppressors and I always when I think about freedom go back to that story and I want you to to do your best to put yourself in the place of the people the Israelites this morning to consider what it must have been like when we compare the things that we face to where they had been when we compare our lives with other nations, other countries that are suffering, that are under some severe issues that don't face, don't have freedom. It really puts in perspective the things that we we deal with. It really should allow us to to celebrate today and realize the freedom we truly have. But this is a series not just on that physical kind of freedom, but also on a spiritual freedom. The need for freedom in different areas in our life when it comes to, comes to addictions, when it comes to fears, when it comes to relationships, when there's so many areas where we need freedom. But this morning, to really think through this, I want to encourage you to kind of consider the Israelite people and consider the story of the Exodus. It's one of the most amazing ways, I believe, that God shows up and shows his power and shows his ability to save and to bring freedom in, in a lot of different ways. One of the things I was thinking about were the, of the fears that we have, the need for freedom that we have. A lot of it boils down to, to fears. I wonder how many fears you had as a child. We all had different kinds of fears. And I, I told a story the other night on Facebook Live about when I was a kid. I remember uh, watching scary movies with my dad. Shouldn't have been watching them with them. These Dracula movies, this, that, and the other. I don't know what it was. There's nothing else to do, so I hung out with my dad, and he didn't really protect me from that. And I remember going to bed, scared, walking upstairs in my small little tiny room by myself in the darkness, you know, and you kind of creep into bed, and you're just kind of looking around. Anybody ever been there? Yeah? Okay, good. Whew, I'm not alone. And I just remember, you know, I just, my eyes wide open, just terrified and trying to go to sleep. And the only way that I could go to sleep was just to pray. I literally would, would pray myself to sleep. As a, as a kid, there, even up into teenage status, there are so many fears that, that you could probably think back to. Fears of being accepted, you know, fears of, of asking that girl out, which obviously never conquered since my numerous stories of Stephanie Lonchek. This is a story of grace right here. How does this happen? <laughs> You know, it's just, God could only do this. Um, and some of those fears as a child, they, they, even, they even come into our adulthood. As an adult, it seems like because we, we know more, we've seen more, there's more things that we're actually afraid of, whether we admit it or not. Some of those things still come in from our, our childhood. Some of those things we, we still worry about. Fears like, how will I provide for my family? How will our relationship make it? Will I 
accomplish something great? Will I ever really make a name for myself? Anybody have that, you know? I really want to put my mark, yeah? I see Davey kind of, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Will I ever do that? Will I be a good parent? You know, fears of loneliness, fears still even of acceptance, health issues in the future. Will I ever be able to reconcile with this person that I, you know, have a problem with my parents and I've never, we haven't talked in years? There's all kinds of fears and, and things that we face even as adults. I met with a friend yesterday that I hadn't seen in probably 10 years, just strolled into Starbucks. I was like, what? And so we ended up talking for probably two solid hours about things. And one of the fears that he faces as a, as a relatively new parent, he has two little girls. And one of his little girls, I think, is barely two. And she has some neurological disorder. And I tried, I'm going to butcher it by trying to pronounce it or remember it, some angelicism. I don't really know how to say it. But essentially what the issue is is that she will have the mind of a, you know, basically a two-year-old forever. Everything is slowed down. And so he, he faces that and his fears, you can imagine his fears as a parent thinking, how am I going to, to really take care of her? How am I going to be the best parent that I can be? How do we face all the issues that are ahead? You can only imagine how to deal with that. But even with some of these things that we've talked about, our fears are small compared to the rest of the world. And we think we don't have to worry about our safety, about our, our next meal. You know, the Israelites, when we consider them, they, were, they originally went to, is, went to Egypt to be safe, to be free. They actually went there to, to be able to feed their families, to be able to start a new life since the entire world practically or that area of the world was facing a famine and so they grew and they grew and they multiplied and, and God took care of them there but what happened of course as the leadership changed leadership a lot rises and falls on leadership leadership changed and the new Pharaoh was not favorable to the to the Israelite people and and put them into forced labor but they became so numerous that literally the kind of fears that they faced were because there's so many of you, Pharaoh decrees, you know, whenever you have a boy, you're going to go take that boy and throw it into the Nile River. So infanticide at this point was something that was practically, for the Israelites anyway, decreed by the Pharaoh. You're getting too big. you got a guy in leadership that's willing to say those kinds of things. You can only imagine what the life of the Israelites were like. And to be in that kind of leader, into that, under that kind of leadership, to be in that slavery and to be in that bondage, they truly needed freedom from God. And they cried out for freedom. And God used a guy named Moses, a guy typically that we wouldn't have chosen, a very unlikely guy who, as we mentioned last week, committed murder and then took off. Took off and ran and fled for his life away from Pharaoh. Ends up wandering around in the desert, you know, taking care of his father-in-law eventually, his father-in-law's sheep. Imagine turning over in his mind over and over the things that he had done wrong, the things he would have wanted to be, the, the ambitions that he had. But yet here he is out here in the desert wandering around taking care of sheep. But God raises him back up. God's grace 
It's probably the biggest theme in the Bible in so many ways, in so many stories from, from Genesis to Revelation. And he raises up Moses again, gives him his task to move forward and to, to do something awesome, to be the guy who is going to be led by God to free, to be the spokesman, if you will, to lead the people of, of Israel out of Egypt. It's incredible. And what's so awesome is that very same place, I want to remind you of this from last week, that very same place where he mauled over his mistakes over and over, I'm sure, as he walked through the desert, taking care of sheep, was the very same place that all of a sudden there's this burning bush and then God turns, he says this to Moses, the very place you're standing has now become what? Anybody know? Holy ground. Take off your sandals. Moses basically argues with God, I can't do this. I'm not the guy for it. I can't, I'm not a great speaker, which I love that verse, okay? You know, I'm not the guy. But God says to Moses, you surely will lead my people to freedom, and you'll know what I said to you is true because you're going to come back to this very same place, this place you've wandered around, tooling over, wondering if you know, about that murder that you committed, about your mistakes, about where you are, and you're going to come back to this very place that I've now deemed as holy ground, and you're going to worship me here on this mountain. And not just you, but you and the rest of the people that I have freed. He takes the place of your greatest worry and fear and stress and mullings of failure, and he turns it into holy ground and a place to worship. Only God can do that. Only God can free, not just physically, but spiritually and anything that you face. But what I want to talk about today is that Moses begins this journey, and he does what God says, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says, who's God that I should care? Why do I care? You know, Moses beats it, and then Pharaoh, Moses finds out later, tells the people, we're going to make it harder on you. I don't care about your God. Now you're going to have to get your own straw. How do you like that? So then the people are ticked off. Moses goes back to God, what's going on, and talks to, talk to God again, say, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. Maybe it's not the way you think, Moses, but this is going to happen. Goes back and tells the people, but they're dejected. Ah, freedom's not real. This really isn't going to happen. I don't know if there's been any part of your life that you've, you've kind of wrestled with that. You think, you know, this is, you ever had the moment where it just all feels like bull? It all feels like bunk? Where you question what you believe, you question what you've grown up hearing? And that happens in ways that you thought God was going to come through a certain way. Maybe he didn't the way that you thought he would. Maybe you're still waiting. My friend that I met the other day, uh, he grew up in my youth group, you know, was a leader of the youth group at the time. And because of experiences that he's had, particularly negative experiences with other Christians, he's walked away from the faith. He, doesn't, he hasn't gone to church in years. And so the Israelites at that very moment, they get this message from Moses saying, you're going to be free. They, they had a, a crisis, if you will. They had a moment where... You know, it was this, they faced some real doubt. It's this moment of intellect 
versus faith, and I'm not saying that they should be exclusive, but knowing the right things versus truly having faith in those things. It's a difference again, and we've shared this illustration before, and I believe intellectually that chair is going to hold me. I believe that it's constructed well. I can tell you it's made out of metal and it's black and it's got this in it and that in it. And I can study chairs for years and years and years. But it, it doesn't do me any good until I actually sit in it. Until I place my faith in it. And the Israelites have that moment. And, and probably several of them actually because freedom doesn't come like this. It didn't come overnight. They had that moment of of, of understanding versus faith. And what were they going to do? Were they going to sit in the chair? They studied, they'd heard about God, the stories were passed down, they knew all kinds of things, but they have that moment of intellect versus faith. We face this all the time because we, we lose trust, because we lay out the road map and, our, and, and the terms that we have to God, and we say, this is the way that you're going to do it, God. And when it doesn't happen the way that we want to do it, we lose faith. We don't always walk away, okay, like my friend. But something almost worse happens. You, you go through the motions. You come. You attend. You sit. You go home. You come back. You, you spiritually punch the clock, don't you? You never want that in any part of your life, especially in relationships, right? For the love that you have for your spouse, do you, do you go home and punch the clock? Well, it's just another day. When we talk about the Lord, we're talking about a relationship. We're talking about a thing of trust. We're talking about a thing that's, that's meant to be intimate, that's meant to be close. When you get to the point where you're punching the clock with God, there's a problem. And so, freedom is in front of these people. But they come to another point as well, based on what I said a moment ago, where there's another issue, it's this, this aspect of control versus reliance. We all have this desperate desire to control things ourselves, to do things ourselves. If freedom is going to happen, I'm going to be a part of it, and it's going to happen this way. Moses fully expected, I'm sure, walking into Pharaoh... All my people go, and like, okay, well, God sent you. Go ahead, have a great time. I don't know what he expected. He certainly didn't expect what happened. We have this desire to control things. If we want to be free, we want to control it our way versus reliance on God, truly trusting in him. It's really difficult. We have this need to touch, to hold to grasp onto things and for things to be very tangible and, and laid out at times. I'm not saying you have to be one of those planners that knows A to, a to Z, but you still have that desire to, to physically touch, to feel, to have some semblance of control. And I tell you folks, God will never, ever be controlled by you. You know, read recently and was reminded one of the oldest books of the Bible they say the first book of the Bible actually written is Job and it's a pretty interesting book to really be the first book you know and Job is this guy who's this righteous man has never done anything wrong right 
has a great family, he's managing his resources well, just everything's great, and you know, in Case's kids, this is how righteous he is, right? Case's kids, his kids got together and they would celebrate, I think weekly it says. I don't remember, but, how, but it was often. And so they'd have these parties, and, and Job, just to make sure they hadn't done anything stupid, you know, maybe they, you know, went across the line, did a little, you know, stumbling home, I don't know what it was, said something bad to someone, maybe they cursed God, and he didn't, you know, he would go and make sacrifices for them just to cover all the bases, so to speak, right? I'm going to say a couple of hell fathers and Mary and all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, we're going to go through the rosary. I know I'm using some Catholic analogy here, but we're going to go through all these kind of things and do some extra stuff to make sure the kids are straight. He had all his bows tied and ducks in a row. But then he goes through some serious adversity and he loses everything. And you read that book, if you've read the book of Job, and you would be probably right there with Job questioning, why are you doing this, Lord? Why is he going through all this? You know, for me, I can understand I did some dumb things. I probably deserve what I give a Job. What in the world? And Job sits down. He's practically lost everything. He's barely got his health. It says he's scraping off boils from his skin with pieces of pottery, you know sitting in the dust, and then his friends come around, and they sit with him. And you ever had those well-meaning friends? They just come, and they sit there, and they try to give you all their best advice, right? Well, I think if you, obviously, you surely weren't righteous enough, Job. You probably didn't read your Bible enough. You probably didn't pray enough. You certainly didn't go to church enough, and so that's why you're in this place. And they begin to kind of spiritually examine and, and pick through his life. And Job's like, I've, I've never done, I've been done this. I'm, you know, I'm the model Christian, okay? It was not that term back then, but that's the same point in a way. That's, I'm that guy. And the majority of the book of Job is hard to read because it's just this back and forth of these conversations, 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 and it gets at the very end, finally, where God just says, who do you think? You are. <laughs> Were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I told the ocean, when the waves come in, you can only go this far? Were you there when I set the distance of the stars? Were you there when I, you know, taught the mountain goat how to do what he does? And, you know, he goes through all these things. Do you know where the storehouses of the rain and the snow is? And, you know, do you know these things? Because God is the one who's in control. And God is the one who has the power to bring that freedom. He is going to do it his way. But we have to be faithful. We can't control him. We can't control other people. We certainly can't control God. So I want us to consider this aspect of freedom in, in how God works, okay? Because when Moses comes back to the people, God says, I am surely going to do this, but I'm going to do it my way. Freedom, for one, it takes time. It takes time. We have, anybody know how many plagues took place in Egypt during that? process. Anybody? 
10. <laughs> Pick the middle. All right. 10 plagues. Freedom takes time. And every time something happens, right? Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go or this is going to happen. Another plague, another plague. Pharaoh doesn't listen. His heart is hardened continually, okay? Freedom takes time. You know, the people hear from Moses, you can imagine the conversations Moses has. It's unwritten that he has with the other people of Israel. Why is this taking so long? What's going on? What's the deal, Moses? Aren't you in charge? What's, what's happening here? Freedom takes time. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever there's something you've been dealing with for years, consider the fact that it can take time. It doesn't mean that God is not working. Freedom takes time. And what's interesting about it, though, is that the path can often appear quite quite chaotic, all right? I want you to consider this. This is really interesting. You know, this is how God works. It's not the way we would expect. Why don't you just change Pharaoh's heart? But 10 plagues take place. We've got the plague of blood. Hey, Mo, uh, Moses comes up, says to Pharaoh, let my people go. If you don't, all right, okay, well, we're going to turn all the water into blood. So the water of the Nile and and, and, all these, and the standing water even, everywhere, it just turns to blood to the point that the, the people have to go in to dig in their own wells just to get water at a certain point. You would think that would get people's attention, followed by a plague of frogs, frogs everywhere, all over the nation of Egypt, everywhere. And when Moses prays, it says they die, and they're piling up frogs in heaps so that the whole nation stunk of frogs, except for the ones that were in the Nile, okay, where they belonged. Frogs everywhere. The third plague, the plague of gnats, or some people actually, it's described, for some of them, I'm not sure they have to look at the original language, lice everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah, Brad's scratching over here. Just the thought of it. What's taking so long? And you know what? This isn't happening in a land where you know, the Israelites aren't seeing this either. These first three plagues, the Israelites are seeing this, and they're, they're, they're everywhere. God, what are you doing? You've never asked God that, right? Why is this taking so long? And what are you doing? This does not look like freedom. It goes on, the fourth plague goes from, from lice or gnats to flies everywhere. And what's interesting with this, with this fourth plague is that God says this. This is really cool. First of all, it's always this. This is what's said to Pharaoh, let my people so that. What's freedom for? We have an often very selfish view of what freedom's for, don't we? Diane and I are in this class with Justin and the others, and we think about, and, and Brad and Beth, and we, you know, we're thinking about freedom from the chains of our, our creditors, if you will. Getting out of those chains. So we're like, all right, this is how you get free. You're going to pay this off. It's a snowball. We're not going to go into a little class here, right? As much as Justin would probably like that, right? But we get free of all that. What for? Why? What's the point? What's the point of 
being free of addiction, whether it's a drug addiction, whether it's pornography, whether it's, uh, you know, this need to judge people or lying or filling in the blank. What's the point of getting rid of that addiction? Who's it for? Is it for you? We probably think that, right? We want to be free of all this. We'll have all this money to spend. We'll be able to go to restaurants and trips and this, that, and the other. And, you know, we'll, we'll have all this freedom to do what we want. It's not what freedom is for. Over and over. You know, the Israelites were probably thinking, I want freedom for me. This is what God says to tell Moses over and over. Let my people go so that they may worship me. We have an incredible ability to always make things about ourselves, even freedom. It's so that we may worship him. In this fourth plague, and I know I'm running out of time, the flies are about to come in, okay? It says, if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials and on your people and into your houses. It says, the houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. Imagine trying to prepare a meal for the day with all the flies. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in, am in this land. From this point on, there's this change. You know what? We're doing this to get the people's attention. We're doing this to get Pharaoh's attention. I'm doing this, God says basically earlier, to display my power, to set you free. But at this point, God says, you know what? Goshen is going to be different. My people, I want you to realize that I am with you in the midst of it. You know what has occurred to me this week about that is that even in the midst of the chaos, the crap that you face, when God's handling things and he's fixing things and you're trusting in him to do those things, there is always Goshen. There is always freedom in the midst of all of it because of this, because God says, I, the Lord, am in this land. Well, know that I, this grammatically doesn't sound right when I break it apart. I, the Lord, am in this land. I am here with you. The place of freedom is always found in Christ. It's always found in the Lord. We have freedom because of him. I am in the midst of the land. It's not freedom from something. It's also freedom to something. Freedom to worship God. One of the things we say the Lord is, and we can give all kinds of descriptions, but one of, and we always say easily that the Lord is what? I'm curious. Anybody? God is what? He's good. He's what? Shout louder. Great. 
Thank you. God is love. And that's true. But you know what it even boils down to more is that I believe that according to what we see in Scripture, that the Lord himself, the Lord is freedom. The Lord is freedom. And to be free, true freedom, is to be fully his. That's freedom. You know what's great about that? That if that's true, that to be fully his, you can experience that freedom no matter what is going on. To find that place of freedom, to find Goshen, no matter what's going around with the, the blood and the fleas and, and the lice and the frogs piling up. And my favorite one where God brings the plague of darkness, says darkness that could be felt, all except for Goshen, the one place where there's light. I would love to have seen Goshen from up high, you know, like space kind of thing or, or close enough to see. There's this one little spot, you know, Goshen. Freedom. There's freedom in Goshen. I can see the shirts right now. Social media campaign. There's freedom in Goshen. The thing is, if you think about this, and we're wrapping up here, how is it that your addictions, your, your chains, the aspects of things where you're not free, think about all of them, whatever they may be. How do your chains distract you from him? And that's what they do. All these addictions, all these things we need freedom from, what they really are doing is distracting us from him. The financial thing, stressed out, worried about money, how am I going to do this? I want to, you know, what is that? What does that do? Looking down, I'm not looking up. Where is Goshen in this moment? You know, relationship issue, the, 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 the addiction issues, all these things are things that cloud that pull us away from him. Christ is freedom. To be free is to be fully his. I want to leave you with just one last thing. We'll close. I'm not always good at this, but I'm going to give you a little, you know, you know, pastors give you a point one to remember and point two, kind of some steps to walk away with. Thinking about, and anyone can do this, by the way. You don't need a degree. Um, look at the Bible and say, oh, here's a principle. Here's a principle. Here's some principles, okay? What did the Israelite people do when they found themselves in slavery? They cried out to God. There's number one. If you're writing this down in your head, number one, cry out to God. That's where it begins. God, I'm in slavery to this. I need freedom. I need Goshen. <laughs> uh, help me to find it. Cry out to God. That's where it begins. The Israelite people cried out to God, and what does God do? He gets Moses' attention. He says, I have heard the cries of my people, and I have chosen you. Go start dealing with Pharaoh. Cry out to the Lord. The other thing is what? Confrontation. You deal, you confront your oppressor. 
Diane and I have had to confront our oppressor when it comes to finances, and it's not been an entertaining week for us. This is really how much debt we have. Oh. You confront. Pharaoh goes, or Moses goes to the Pharaoh and confronts him. Cry out and confront. Cry out and confront. Now, if you just stop there, you're like the Israelites were, and they're just like, well, crap, things just got harder. There's more straw, you know, and they're like, and then the people are ticked off at Moses. Moses, I don't know if it's strong enough to say ticked off at God, but it goes back to God and says, I'm doing what you told me to do. And now it's harder, and now the people don't like me. That's, I don't like not being liked, but it happens, right? You can't stop there. You cry out. You confront. And you know what? Number three is this. Find Goshen. Find Goshen. That literally means going to the Lord and resting in him and find that freedom right now. It's the center, if you will, of the storm. I don't know a better way of describing that. We have to be really good at finding Goshen, finding the Lord. Always. You know, Davey was talking with me this morning about just getting an opportunity to kind of just clear his mind of stuff, you know, to be, to be present, you know? You ever feel like you're just a million places and you, you, you're never in one place even mentally? You feel crazy sometimes. But spiritually, there is a Goshen, there is a, a freedom place where you realize that God's in control. And that's a very peaceful place to be, no matter what you're facing. As a kid, for whatever reason, after I began to, to know the Lord, when I gave my life to Him, I, I realized that no matter what, that if I, no matter what happened to me, if I found myself homeless like the people that I work with on the side of the street, I would be okay because of one thing. I have Him. I've always believed that. I've always held on to that. And you will be okay no matter what it is you're facing because of him, because of Goshen. Cry out, confront, find Goshen, and then the simplest part, right? Trust in the Lord. Let him do his thing. Let him do his thing. You've got to wait out all ten plagues. It's part of the adventure. God is not boring. If you really know him, he is not boring at all. Do you stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the peace that you give us. Thank you for the freedom that you give us. Lord, with the things we wrestle with, the things we need freedom from, we, we cry out to you this morning. Lord, all of us as we stand sure there's many things that are unspoken, and I, we lift those up right now. We just cry to you and say, Lord, help us with this. And Lord, we, we confront these things. Give us the courage to confront it, to do something, to step up. 
Lord, help us to find Goshen. Help us to rest. Help us to find freedom in you. To know that you're handling it. That And you say this, Lord, to, to give everything to you. To pray about it is giving it to you and that you'll give us this peace. It says in Philippians that passes all understanding. People are like, how can you be so peaceful? How can you feel so free? It's because of you. And so, Lord, we trust in you today. And, Lord, we also thank you for the freedom that we do have just as a, as a part of this nation today. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to, to worship you freely. We thank you for the, the safety that we currently have. And, Lord, we, we, we don't know if it will always be that way, but we trust in you. And no matter what, you will always be our Goshen. We love you. Lord, help us to trust in you this day. And every day moving forward, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.